Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week on All Fired Up. I'm so excited because I have a real cornucopia of awesomeness this week for you all. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who continue to support this podcast and send me messages of outrage and disgust at diet culture. And it's so good to know that people are really getting stirred up and starting to take action against the things that are bugging them about the culture that we're living in right now. So I just wanted to remind you, if you are loving the podcast and you haven't yet subscribed, please make sure that you do so you don't miss any episodes when they pop up. And please leave a really nice rating and review for us too, because the more people who do that, the more the message will get out there and the more people will listen, which will be incredible and awesome. So I just wanted to remind everyone too about a couple of resources that are available for you. The first is our free ebook, which is called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss is Bullshit, written by me and the incredible anti-diet dietitian, Fiona Willer. In the ebook, we are busting the top 10 myths that are floating around about weight science in diet culture, and we're really unpacking and challenging the assumptions that all of this is resting on. It's a really fascinating read. It is packed full of references and science and just sort of general awesomeness. And as I said, it's completely free. So go to untrapped.com.au to download it and give it to as many people as you possibly can, because I really want to spread the word about just how much misinformation is floating around about this topic. And I also have a mini e-course that I've just released, which is called Befriending Your Body. And it's a condensed version, I guess, of how to learn how to kind of love your body, I guess. In, I know that's a contentious phrase, but when I say the word love, I mean connect and understand and sort of re-enter because I think diet culture very much disconnects us from having a relationship with our body. So in Befriending Your Body, it's a 10-day intensive, yes, and you get an email each day talking about various elements of self-compassion because For me, building the skill of self-compassion, which essentially means becoming your own best friend, is absolutely the foundation of returning to your body and the beginnings of body liberation. So it's a really wonderful little course. The meditations are all by me, so it's an Aussie accent. There's some really good questions and answers and general topics each day that you get. So it's a nice little uh, beginner's course, I guess, but you'll get a really strong foundation in how to learn to be kind to yourself because we cannot learn how to relate to our bodies in a different way when we're at war with ourselves all the time. So you can find the Befriending Your Body course through my Instagram handle, which is untrapped underscore AU. And if you click on the bio there, you'll find a link to the Befriending Your Body course. 
And if you're interested in my rantings on a more regular basis than every fortnight, I am blogging every week on the Untrapped website, which is untrapped.com.au. So you can pop onto there, look at my blog and have a look at everything else that I'm ranting and raving on about each week. There just seems to be a pretty much an endless supply of stuff to talk about, which is sort of discouraging, but definitely gives me a lot to focus on. So I just wanted to take a moment too, because I realized that this week is Untrapped's birthday. I launched Untrapped a year ago, which it just seems phenomenal that 12 months has passed. But on the 3rd of September, 2017, that's when Untrapped was launched. And that was pretty much, I think the podcast started just shortly before that. So yay, here we are. We're one, we've made it. And my gosh, it definitely has been, well, really unexpected, I guess, because the Untrapped program has really taken off in a way that I had kind of hoped it would, but I never dreamed that the community would be as strong, connected and supportive as it is because absolutely for me at the heart of Untrapped, which is my online course for helping people heal their relationship with food and moving and their bodies. So it's a lot of information, which I co-created alongside all of these amazing anti-diet health professionals. But at the heart of it is this amazing Facebook group, which we have built where we share together. So there's health professionals and there's also people doing the course and it's just so wonderful. And you can see the changes that are happening for people as a result of the information, as a result of the guidance, but mostly I think because of this sense of community, because we, it really is hard to change in diet culture, isn't it? It's hard to change and stand against the tide when we feel all alone. But when we feel like there's a big group of people around us standing strong and defiantly against all the bullshit, then it becomes easier and it becomes possible to live according to your values. So happy birthday, Untrapped, and thank you to all of the wonderful participants in this community who have joined. And you know, if you're struggling, please join with us because life can be incredibly different. So you can go to our website to find out more about the course, which is at untrapped.com.au. This week's topic for the All Fired Up podcast is a little bit different. It's called Pushing Back. And today I'm bringing you stories of three different guests, three different stories of how people have pushed back against diet culture and who are making a difference. Because I really wanted to bring this narrative into All Fired Up, not just being pissed off about stuff, but doing something about it and getting a result and changing the world, whether that be on a really big level or on a really personal level. It's just as important. And I really want to hear from people who are making a difference. So the first guest that I have for you today is a familiar one because she has been on the podcast before in an episode very early on in the podcast, which was called Obesity Inc. Has No Place at an Eating Disorders Conference. So my guest today is Nicole McDermott, back here for a second time. She is incredible, this woman. She is a social worker. She is an eating disorder recovery coach. She has lived experience with an eating disorder and she's very active in the social media space. You might know her on Instagram or Facebook at The Embodied Journey. Nicole is just such an incredible, wonderful, 
individual. And if you haven't already listened to her first podcast on what it was like to be at the Eating Disorders Conference in 2017, I encourage you to go and listen to that one before you listen to her second interview, which is just about to give us now. So Nicole is back for a second time and she's telling the story of how she defiantly stood up and did something incredibly courageous at this year's Eating Disorders Conference. And it's an incredible story and I, I really have no words and I keep saying that when I try to describe what she did at this conference. So without further ado, I give you my first guest for today, Nicole McDermott. So, Nicole, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. And what is firing you up at the moment? Oh, look, I think it's a really different type of fired up to last time I was here. I think I was filled with <laughs> last time, but this time around I am all fired up with gratitude, which is a really lovely feeling and a very different feeling to last time, I think. I know. I think this is a bit of a different territory for normal all fired up. <laughs> it's exactly right because all fired up can be rage, but it can also be like all fired up with passion or motivation or gratitude. Like you're saying, it's just like a, it's a big feeling. And that's, that's what I want to talk to people about, you know, in this podcast, it's not just about the hard stuff, but also the good stuff. Yeah, all the wins. I think that that's really important to bring to light as well. It's not just about raging and being pissed off. I mean, that's awesome. But being able to celebrate those wins along the way, I think is really important too. Mm -hmm. So last time you came on the show, we were ranting and raving and raging about the eating disorders conference that was on in 2017, where we were sort of subject <laughs> to a lot of quote-unquote obesity ink people in the room trying to encourage us eating disorder health professionals to get larger people with eating disorders to go on diets. And we were sort of talking through the horror of what that was like. And now, <laughs> fast forward 12 months later, we've just come back from the 2018 Eating Disorders Conference, which was a complete 180 on last year's, wouldn't you say? Oh my gosh, as you were just talking then about the 2017 conference, I had shivers down my spine and I'd taken myself back to the moment momentarily and was thinking, oh my gosh. But certainly it was such a, such a turnaround. I mean, this conference was oh so, so different and so, so amazing. And I can't wait to share more with you today. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've almost got no words to describe this this year's <laughs> conference except a great big heap of gratitude for the conference organisers, some of which may be fierce anti-diet people, Fiona Sutherland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but who, you know, it could have gone in a really different direction. The 2017 direction was of real concern to a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And it was heartening this year because the theme was courageous conversations and it really was all about ending weight stigma and talking about fat phobia. And rather than quote unquote, have a conversation with obesity Inc, it was pushing back against all of that messaging. And it was just so wonderful. It was so, so incredible to see the complete turnaround this year. I think I said to you, you know, the last time that I was on the podcast, you know, that whole idea of feeling so unwelcome in a space was just really horrendous. And mm -hmm. You know, being, I guess, continuously, you know, shamed and pushed outside of my own profession and my own lived experience was a really horrible, disheartening and dehumanizing experience. So mm. you know, 
fact that this conference was a complete turnaround and we're actually front and centering the voices of people with a lived experience, particularly those who in marginalized bodies and from marginalized communities, I think was just such a, it felt like home. I know that might sound a little complicated, but it felt like home and it just felt like it felt like you could breathe. It felt like there was, there was no judgment. There was no shame. It was just an amazing, amazing place to be an amazing place to be able to, as we say, have those courageous conversations and really open up a dialogue as to how things should be. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to hear you say that, like that's that feeling of being welcomed and part of it, as opposed to last year when I think everybody from the anti-diet community and anyone <laughs> certainly in a larger body just felt very shamed and very wrong. Absolutely. Um, so the program at this year's conference was pretty awesome, but there was a particular part which was called the plenary. <laughs> and <laughs> in that plenary discussion, there were three people. There was Sarah Harry from Body Positive Australia. There was Scott Griffiths, who does a lot of work about weight stigma and body image issues in men. And then the third most awesome person was you. I know, I was going to say, who was that third person? Surprise, surprise, it was me. (laughs) And a plenary discussion at a conference is pretty important because it means the whole conference is there and has to listen. And it's usually a discussion about some kind of professional issue. This plenary discussion was unlike anything I'd ever seen because first Sarah got up and she was talking about her lived experience as a larger person with an eating disorder. And she was really appealing to the community to listen and centre the voices of people like her. And then Scott got up and did a really awesome chat about weight stigma and what it really means and how it's a whole pile of bullshit. And (laughs) justifying (laughs) hatred based on quote-unquote health is just bullshit as well. And then you got up and I really just still don't have words to describe what happened (laughs) when... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I do either. I don't think anybody has the words to describe it. Yeah. I mean, for people who who are wondering exactly what Nicole said, she has, you have recorded it and put it up on YouTube. So we'll put a link. So please go and watch what her, her speech, because it's very moving. And yes, there were about 450 people in the room and pretty much the majority of us were crying because it really resonated on a very deep level because I think he was so vulnerable and he was so genuine. There was no artifice. There was no, it was just totally you. And rarely do you get to see people bearing their soul the way you did. And it got us all back to what we're trying to do here. Eating disorders are awful experiences and they're experienced by human beings. And you really got your point across very clearly that when you are in a larger body, you don't get treated very well and that it's unacceptable. It's just got to stop. So, Absolutely. <laughs> I think that was, that was what I wanted to get across. I wanted to be able to tell people how it was, you know, to be able to tell people the horror stories, you know, not for their pity and not for people to feel sorry for me, but for people to actually go, well, shit, this is what we need to change, you know, Mm -hmm. and to be able to share that so openly and with such vulnerability was absolutely terrifying. Mm. But something that I feel really needed to be done. And I was so grateful for the privilege of being able to, to stand on that stage and share that part of myself with, 
you know, not only the professionals in the room, but now the world that I've <laughs> released it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, to have, I guess, that honour of being invited to sit on that plenary is, is absolutely incredible. And I think that says a lot, not only for the amazing job that the conference conveners, Fiona Sutherland, um, <laughs> have done, but I guess I'm crossing my fingers and, and sincerely hoping that this is a move in a more favourable direction for, for our profession and for the eating disorder community. It was a very clear message to Obesity Inc. Mm. Very clear. And that was wonderfully done. I read somewhere, you know, that it's not research that changes people's minds. It's feelings. It's how you make people feel. And it's really hard to do that (laughs) when people are operating from a weight centric perspective. But I feel like if there was someone who was going to do it, it was pretty much you in that speech. Because I think if you heard that and remain unmoved, then you're pretty much never going to get it, right? Yeah, and that's exactly right. You know, I think I had to go in there knowing that there were going to be people who just weren't going to get it and that was okay. You know, it wasn't going to resonate for everybody, but I had to go in there knowing that if people didn't get it or weren't moved or just washed over their head for whatever reason, then that said so much more about them and where they're at in terms of their own stuff than what it ever will about me or my body. And I think that that was something that I actually reflected on in the open letter as well, that, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with me, but you know, if you're a decent human being and you have feelings Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, just listen, really. It's all it came down to just listen. Yeah. Yeah. I loved how you started it. Like take off your expert hats and listen. You know, there were a few swear words that I had to edit out of the speech before I actually delivered it on stage. So it was a little bit more angry than that. I had to to kind of edit out the swear words. But essentially what I really wanted to say is just like, for fuck's sake, you just need to listen to people with lived experience and you need to centre those who are most marginalised because this is where the most learning opportunities are. If we're not listening to people with lived experience and we're not listening to people in marginalised bodies, in marginalised communities, and we're making decisions for and about people from positions of power and privilege, then we're learning nothing. And we're essentially chasing our tails in this space and we're learning nothing. So where does that leave us? Like what's mm-hmm. the point of what we're doing? So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, felt, I felt a bit then just like getting up and doing another standing ovation, but I <laughs> controlled yeah. myself. That was one of my questions, actually. What was it like to prepare that speech? And you said it was a lot angrier. So when you were writing it, you were feeling really angry, rightly so. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I procrastinated over it a lot. And there were significant moments of self-doubt. There were significant moments of who am I to be doing this? I was really questioning myself, you know, what if this doesn't land the way that I want it to land? all of that doubt and all of that, I guess, what what word can I put to it? But I guess all of that shame Mm -hmm. that I had felt my entire life was a real barrier to be able to put this, like to be able to put this down on paper. And and that's really interesting, isn't it? Like you were really angry because, you know, deep down, you know, that the way you've been treated is wrong, but then like massive layers of doubt and shame over the top of that, which what do you think that is? Do you think that's the like internalized 
weight stigma that gives people a sense of shame? Is that is that what you're referring to? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is something that I've experienced all my life. So of course, you know, there's still stuff that I hold on to, you know, I haven't worked through everything yet. And I think it's a, a lifelong process. You know, when you've, you've been in this position your entire life, of course, there's still going to be stuff that you hold on to. And, you know, there are still going to be barriers that pop up every now and then in, in kind of doing things like this. So, you know, a lot of it is my own internalized stuff. And I mean, I'll own that, but I guess it was a real motivator in that sense and kind of going, actually, no, this is the point of me doing what I'm doing. I don't need to hide behind this anymore. I don't need to make myself small. I don't need to shrink myself. You know, I have value in this space. My story matters and I am damn well going to make you listen to me. Um, That is so good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what's hard. That's what's hard. I think you know, one of my questions is going to be also to you, why are so few people speaking up mm. in this space? And I mean, more, more and more people are speaking up and we definitely saw it at the conference, but mm. like quite often, I think, especially in the research, like when you said like people are speaking for people in larger bodies when they're in positions of power with no life experience and no lived experience of what it's like. And I think the voices of so many people are silent because of internalized weight stigma because of like this belief that there really is something wrong with you if you're in a larger body and I think when you really have swallowed the Kool-Aid on that idea it's so hard to speak up and it absolutely is it's not only the internalized weight stigma that you know people experience I think it's we're so brainwashed by our community as well it's it's all the microaggressions that exist that make you feel as though you are unwelcome you know it's mm-hmm. it, it's physical spaces it's what people say it's organizational policies it's marketing and media it's fundraising campaigns it's all of these external things as well that are reinforcing the idea that you don't belong in this space mm. they're reinforcing the idea that your story and and your value and your experience is not welcome here. So, mm. I mean, no wonder people feel scared and feel ashamed and, and feel like they're unworthy of support and treatment. You know, it's no wonder our spaces are actually setting this up for people. And this yeah. is I really wanted to highlight that the whole thing just needs to be turned on its head, essentially. The entire eating disorder community needs to be turned on its head, given a good shaking and <laughs> let's start again. <laughs> yeah. Get all the dust off everyone and get everyone seeing clearly what weight stigma really is. Yeah, because it's it's not just internalized stuff, it's actually everywhere in how people think and talk about people in larger bodies. Like you often hear from fat activists that their opinions and stories and views are dismissed because they're just, you know, making excuses for being fat. Mm, mm. And how awful. (laughs) It's disgusting to be completely honest with you. It's absolutely disgusting. And, you know, I think for a lot of fat people as well, you know, we, we try and we try to speak up in this space and our voices aren't necessarily heard, but when somebody in a smaller body speaks up and speaks for us or speaks about us, because they are in a thinner body, it's like their voice has more credibility. So people are more likely to listen to what they have to say, even though they're saying exactly the same thing as mm. that people have been saying forever. But 
just simply because of the body that they inhabit, their voice has more credibility. And yeah, friggin' sucks. That, like, that really sucks, just completely. And then there's another layer on top of that. If it's a male who's oh. talking about it, don't, <laughs> then, <even> <laughs> don't know, he'll get even more attention than you know, especially a male in a smaller body, they, they get the most attention. And then secondarily, the female in a smaller body. And thirdly, the female in a larger body. It should literally be the other way. The closer you are to the oppression, the more you need to be heard. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, so what has it been like? What impact did it have on you to do that speech? You said it was like the pinnacle of your life, which means it must kind of mean something. Oh, gosh, it it meant everything to be honest I think one thing that I really wanted to reflect upon and I'm I can't remember whether or not I I had said it to you after the conference but I think I I built up enough courage to be able to say yep okay I can stand up on stage and I can do this and I'm worthy of being able to do this I've kind of gotten myself to that point but getting back to a lot of that internalized weight stigma stuff there was still a part of me that was absolutely convinced that I was going to get up on stage and still be dismissed and still be shamed. Mm. People were just going to roll their eyes. And then when that didn't happen and I got the reception that I got, it was almost like I didn't know how to process what was happening. It was like a feeling that I'd never felt to that extreme before. Of course, you know, I felt it obviously within, you know, our little safe and comfortable hay spaces, but you know, and on such a larger level and to be accepted and to be seen and to be heard and respected and valued I didn't really know what to do with it it was was such a beautiful reaction like for for people who weren't there after she after you finished your speech there was a standing ovation and that doesn't happen at eating disorder conferences and it just didn't want to stop everyone just kept on clapping and kept on clapping and the person who was convening the plenary panel was crying and everyone was crying and it was just one of those really incredible moments. But I could see, because I might have been in the front row, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that you were overwhelmed, <laughs> which was, you know, lovely and understandable. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to know what to do next after that. And uh, we had to launch straight into the Q&A after that. So I think I looked like a bit of a deer in headlights and I think I'd turn to Sarah to kind of go, okay, you need to answer these questions because I can't cope right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thankful for the fact that she jumped in there and kind of answered a few while I collected myself and got my shit together. But uh, I think... (laughs) That that emotional impact and just the enormity of what had happened stayed with me. And I think it's still with me, to be honest. There was something in me while I was still down in Melbourne that was like, I need something to commemorate and to solidify this moment because I can't, I don't want to let it go. And so I, I actually went and got a tattoo while I was down in Melbourne to to signify the event, which was a really beautiful experience. and. I was sitting in the, the tattoo chair just kind of having a bit of a cry while he was doing this too. And I think that's all I've done for the past week is just I will kind of reflect on the moment and have a bit of a cry and reach out to friends and just I think I'm still processing it. And I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think a lot of it's sitting in my body and it's just such a, a felt sense. So that's why I think that there's not many words to put to it because I'm actually feeling it all in my body, which is really lovely. Mm, That is so nice. And I love the tattoo. 
symbolism. Has there been any kind of cost? Like, because, you know, when I was watching you do it, I just kept thinking of like the emotional labor of people and how it's kind of unfair that, well, it's not kind, it just, it is bloody unfair that people with lived experience in larger bodies need to get up and, and tell people like what you're doing really sucks. Yeah, I, it definitely has been that emotional toll. I also have a chronic illness, so my body is just having a bit of a, a shit fit at the moment. It's it's not coping too well. I'm kind of whilst I'm feeling a lot in my body emotionally, I'm also feeling a lot in my body in terms of that enormity translating in in pain and such as well. So I think that's been a, a huge cost. I think too, just the the mental and emotional exhaustion that's come from that as well. I think too, I, you know, I've still kind of been going through periods of feeling incredibly overwhelmed and going, what did I just do? And going back (laughs) into that place of questioning myself going, oh my God, what have I done? I Um, think that's what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover, right? Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) This is like the longest hangover I've ever had. So (laughs) I just kind of ride this one out, but Look, I I think it is absolutely horrendous that people in larger bodies have to do this emotional labor. But for myself, I mean, I'm lucky and I'm privileged to be in a position to be able to do it. And I think the fact that I had this platform to be seen and heard, I couldn't not do it justice and I couldn't not put everything that I had into it. So I think the benefits have far outweighed the costs in this Mm -hmm. respect. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many people have thanked you, but like, I hope it's many because you deserve a lot of thanks and gratitude for getting up and doing that. And like, it does change people's lives. Like you said, when you know that you're not alone and when you know that your experience matters and it's experienced by people who are like you, that that's, it's so meaningful. Oh, look, I, again, these are the moments I burst into tears. You know, I open up my social media and I'll get messages from people to say, thank you. And to say, you know, thank you for actually speaking the words that are so close to my soul and the words that I can't speak to for myself because I've been too ashamed or thank you from people who have just felt so impacted by what I've said or, you know, who have resonated so much with my story. And I think that was something that I really wanted to make clear as well is that this was just my story and my experience, but it rings so true for so many people in larger bodies as well. Just that idea of not feeling heard and not feeling respected and feeling pushed outside of this space. So, you know, whilst people's stories and experiences are so unique to them, I think there's a a real kind of common thread amongst those of us in larger bodies in particular, that just that idea of someone's voice being heard in this space is is enormous. And I think too, it's been an equal, I guess, kind of number of, of both people with lived experience reaching out to me and also professionals as well, you know, professionals who are at the conference to say, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you recorded this, you know, talking about the YouTube video, I'm taking this back to my team so they can all watch it too. And professionals mm-hmm. that have also contacted me and saying, thank you so much. This is something that I can learn from, that I can grow from, that I can do better in my practice. So knowing that that has had such an impact on both those with the lived experience and the professional community is just more than what I could have ever imagined. So Mm, That's incredible. That Mm. is an incredible result. And it's very heartening too, to hear that it's not 
that the health professionals there are acknowledging that they can learn and they can yeah. change their practice as a result of your honesty. That is sober because that's how change is going to happen on those two levels. One is that the health professionals can notice, listen and improve through inclusion, not through Obesity Inc. <laughs> and people with lived experience can join together in this and yeah. join together not in kind of like a lonely place of oppression and shame, but join together in like the shared experience and the, what is the word, the camaraderie kind of thing that can come from, actually, I can talk about this and this is a thing and I can share it. Mm. Mm. I, can get, I can get really strong and powerful around this. Yeah, I can get really angry and that's okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I pissed off about the fact that I have been treated like crap for my entire life and you know what? This needs to be heard. So I really hope that this is just the start of that paradigm shift. And I feel it and I felt it down at the conference and I felt it leading up to the conference. There's just something in me that, I mean, I could be completely wrong and it could be, you know, <laughs> it, could, mm -hmm. it could not happen, but I, I really hope that this is just the start of, of so much change that needs to happen in this space. And I'm, I'm really blessed and I'm really grateful and I'm so incredibly proud to have been part of that catalyst for change. Mm, yeah, I am incredibly proud that I was there to witness it. <laughs> yeah, I too share that optimism that this is where I agree. I think we're very much poised on the edge of this paradigm shift away from viewing people in larger bodies as something pathological and wrong to inclusion of and respect for people in all bodies and respectful health care for people in all bodies. And it's people like you who I'm talking to today who are like leading it. So thank you so much. I know that you're going to keep pushing for various stuff and it's just incredible to be a part of it. So again, thank you. I still don't have words. Like I still feel it. I, just, I can't get them. It's like, like you said, it's just in my body. Yeah. I need to find the words. I think it is going to take a bit of time, but in the meantime, like a massive thank you and a huge oh. like like high five like to the 10th degree and know that like basically I'm giving you a standing ovation every time I see you. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. I think it's just, it's such, as you said, a complete 180. And I think just something that I was kind of giggling about before I jumped on here today, I remember us talking last time about me just being a squeaky wheel. And I think I just completely surpassed the squeaky wheel. And I've just, <laughs> I just, I just, I really want to say this, but I've just gone in there and fucked shit up and it's been amazing. <laughs> so. Oh my God. I just remembered that about the squeaky wheel. You have not been a squeaky wheel. You've been a bloody foghorn and it's been <laughs> awesome <laughs> so there you go there you go one year later <laughs> oh we keep screaming loudly nicole thank you totally thank you so much for having me so that was amazing to talk to nicole and get her perspective on that experience that she had at this eating disorders conference my goodness, right? What a difference can a year make? What a difference in you know going from someone in the audience feeling left out and ignored and marginalised to standing at the plenary and making everybody cry. It's just an incredible story of how 
standing in our own truth and just telling people about our experience can do something very meaningful. I'm so honoured to have Nicole back to tell us about what that was like. And if you haven't watched her YouTube clip, please do so. I have a copy popped into our show notes. So from the personal to the political now, I have another story to bring to you in our show on pushing back against diet culture. My next guests, I'm actually interviewing two people at the same time for the first time on this podcast, which was a little tricky, but I managed to do it. So my next two guests are here to tell a fascinating story about how they pushed back and uh, doing their best to get a weight-neutral, inclusive perspective into our political discussions. So here in Australia recently, there has been a call for a Senate inquiry into, uh, quote-unquote, the childhood obesity epidemic and what we're going to do about it. So essentially what that means is that submissions have been invited from anybody, really. It can be organisations or just people off the street. Anyone can submit to the Senate inquiry on a series of questions and topics surrounding this idea of the obesity epidemic and what we're going to do about it. So my next two guests put a submission together from a weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size, anti-diet perspective, and they're here to tell their story of how that went. So one of these wonderful women is Dr. Natalie Jovanovsky. You might have remembered that name because she's been on the podcast as well in her really awesome episode, Why Michelle Bridges Sucks, early on in our history. She is from Swinburne University and she's talking today with her colleague and friend, Dr. Carolyn White who is also an academic at Swinburne University. And they together put this incredible submission together. And I just want you guys to hear what happened next. So with no further ado, I give you Carolyn and Natalie. When you're listening to this conversation, because there's three of us, it can be a little confusing, but Luckily, I guess, there's a difference in the sound. So the person who's a little bit fainter is Natalie and the person who's a bit clearer is Carolyn. And hopefully you guys are familiar enough with my voice to know me when I'm ranting on. So here they are. So welcome to the show, Carolyn and Natalie. I'm so happy to have you guys here. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks a lot, Louise. And so what is firing you guys up? Well, what's firing us up is that the federal government in Australia has decided to hold a Senate Select Committee into the, the quote, obesity epidemic in Australia, which was established on the 16th of May. And yeah, the committee is due to report back in November. So the aims of the committee into the, the obesity epidemic was to inquire into matters around the increasing body size of children in Australia and why that that's changed over time and to explore some of the short and long-term harms mm. to children in Australia and the short and long-term economic burden, as well as exploring policies and programs that can be used to improve diets and, quote, prevent childhood obesity, as well as kind of evidence-based measures mm -hmm. and the role of the food industry. So it's quite broad. Yeah. And yeah. Even the language is fat phobic, isn't it? It's <laughs> the reference to like, you know, larger children are a harm or a burden, it's you know, an, an epidemic and that we need to prevent it. So usual way of framing the global trend of people getting bigger. 
like it's a big problem. Yeah, that's It's very much based on that weight normative approach that's dominant at the moment where good health equals weight loss. So we really approached our submission from that weight-inclusive perspective where we're not only protecting the physical health of children and adolescents, but we're also looking at their psychological and social well-being. Mm, yeah. Factors in conjunction with each other. Yeah. So you guys got together as a team and you made a submission to this Senate inquiry, which is so incredibly awesome because that's sort of the theme of today's show is that we can push back and we can have our voices heard in many, many ways. And it was incredibly impressive to know that you guys put your submission together on behalf of Women's Health Victoria and Swinburne University. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And really, you did get your voices heard, like you said, Natalie, from a weight-inclusive perspective, which is just so badly needed in this space. Mm. And it is, it is a paradigm-shifting perspective. So we acknowledge that not many people probably have heard about the weight-inclusive perspective. So we use this as an educational opportunity for us mm. to talk about it, for us to talk to the senators about it. Yeah, we really, the motivation of our submission was resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And I think like we're both have been doing research in this area and so we're very clear about that my background is mental health and chronic disease and that's been kind of looking more at the social impacts, particularly for women on a low income who are single parents. And so we we have a, a kind of we've spoken to people for whom this issue directly affects. So I think part of our motivation was kind of wanting to represent the voices of people who don't necessarily, they're not necessarily heard in these settings. No, they're not. I mean, it's just this hyperbolic rhetoric about damage and burden and control. And like you say, the voices of people who are impacted by the policies that are going to come from meetings like this aren't heard. Yeah. And it's challenging that fearful rhetoric as well, that weight normative rhetoric where you are focusing on weight loss as the ultimate goal and you're focusing on weight as the ultimate problem. By doing that, you're not really focusing on what's going on in a person's life to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I know that if, you know, there's research out there, if they're looking at single mothers, for example, who have just had their welfare payments cut and they've been put on the unemployment benefit, they don't have as much disposable income to go towards food. Yeah. Their diet their nutrition, everything about their relationship with food changes. And so by just simply looking at someone's weight as an indication of their health and well-being, you're really missing out on a broader picture of what they're going through. And yeah. I think that makes it irresponsible health promotion messages. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing that concerns me is that it's focusing on um, weight as a kind of a biomedical risk factor for chronic disease, which may or may not impact on someone like when they're getting into their 40s, 50s and 60s. But it's ignoring the fact that the main burden of disease for young people in Australia is around things like anxiety and depression and eating disorders. So it's kind of looking long term at the impacts without looking at what's happening right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, you guys just made two fabulous points and so this is the kind of stuff that you put into the submission right Uh, encouraging and drawing attention to the much broader social factors that are happening for kids and for 
like because so we know socioeconomic status and weight are strongly related and to just sort of say that the solution is to pop you on a diet that we know won't work yeah. it's insulting and it just ignores the kind of cultural changes that need to start happening you're telling hungry people to go on a diet so yeah yeah totally counterproductive and something that we really pushed in our submission was to look at physical psychological and social health and well-being together because there's no point in looking at these things separately if you're going to design a campaign or if you're going to write up policy you really should be looking at these three factors of well-being in conjunction with each other because they're not mutually exclusive mm, yeah that's something that we really pushed in our submission Yes. And I think too, just kind of bringing it back to the World Health Organization in 1946 defined health as a complete state of physical, mental and social well-being. So what we're arguing is not radical in any way. It's just staying true to those core tenets of what health is and looking at the whole person, which is one of the key principles in the strategic framework for chronic conditions is that we look at the whole person. Mm, that gets so erased, doesn't it? So I think they received something like 148 submissions. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So there was 148 submissions that were made by a range of government health departments, public and private health services, health professional associations, councils, research institutes, peak bodies, parents associations, food companies even got in, advertising companies, and of course, the anti-sugar campaigners and the sugar industry as well. <laughs> so it was a real kind of range of people that have an interest in this area. Yeah. So, you know, this is democracy at work, isn't it? Anyone can submit, anyone can put in a submission and have their opinion looked at by politicians, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. Even as a member of the public, you can put in a submission. So anybody can do it and anybody can be called up to speak as well. So you know, it's definitely something that I think people should consider that when they do see that these submissions are being, I don't know what the right word is, but advertised, that they should voice their, their concerns and their opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are a democracy and it's only when we speak up that we start getting heard. That's right. And I think the value of those different perspectives is that allows the politicians to see the big picture rather than seeing the world through this very narrow kind of lens. Yeah. What was really interesting around it, because a lot of media happened around one of the submissions from, was it Deakin University, uh, who were calling for a really draconian approach. Basically, they wanted to weigh all kids at school. And I don't know what that's supposed to do, but they decided that they really needed that kind of data. But there was so much media attention on that. I mean, all it was, was a, a submission proposal. It's not it wasn't law. It wasn't anyone kind of saying this is going to happen, but almost to read, like, I don't know if that is a press release from Deakin, but to read the media, it's almost like this is a done deal. This is going to happen. And it freaked a lot of people out. Yeah, that's right. I think put in the submission from the Globe Global Obesity Centre, which is based at Deakin University. And so that recommendation comes from the Tipping the Scales report, which a lot of the chronic disease peak bodies endorsed in their submissions. So that tipping the scales report came up with eight recommendations to kind of address the so-called problem of childhood obesity. Yeah, and somehow weighing kids at school was going to be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We 
talked a little bit about some narratives of resistance that are currently out there and some organisations certainly have pushed back against some of these concepts without even explicitly saying so. And one of those campaigns that we talked about was the This Girl Can campaign. Yeah. That was launched by and we talked about this as a really positive step because what it was doing was rather than telling women that they're overweight and they should go out and exercise, it was focusing on women's strengths and enjoying exercise and sport and going out there and engaging in this sort of stuff rather than doing it as a cure to your body dissatisfaction or mm-hmm. you know, your diet or your love handles. So that was a really positive example that we drew on. I guess it's important for people to know that there are really there is really positive stuff out there and it's about us reinforcing that and saying, yes, we want to see more of that. Yeah. I love the This Girl Can campaign because weight is not mentioned anywhere. The women that are featured are of many body sizes, but they're all just kind of having fun and it's yeah. very weight inclusive and like you said, Nellie, it's just focusing on the joy, kind of fun of moving your body. Yeah, and yeah. everyone can do it. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, most people can do it, and it's fun, and it gets you out there. It gets you socialising, so it's not just about the whole, you know, that sort of obsessive focus of burning calories. You don't mm-hmm. see that in that campaign, and you know, I guess it's seeing people. The world is changing. Women are expecting a lot more from public health campaigns, and I think that this campaign gives voice to those women. Yes. Well, you know, I'm thinking of the, you know, the toxic fat campaign and grabbable gut. And those are awful fear-based messages, which is like, you know, you're going to die. (laughs) And they don't even kind of give you a solution at the end. It's just don't be big. It's really depressing and really stigmatizing messaging. Yeah, we often talk about the importance of shifting from this deficit-based approach where you start off by telling somebody that, you know, there's something wrong with them or they're doing something wrong, to shifting to a strength-based approach where you sit and you say, these are the things that you're doing really well. And it's like, let's try to find ways to build on those things that you're doing well. So mm-hmm. it's just a really a shift in how you speak to people and it's more of a respectful, I think, approach to dealing mm-hmm. with the issues that people have in their lives. Yeah. And it was really encouraging to see during the hearing that senators really kind of picked up on our recommendations being more a kind of a positive approach and reframing kind of what we're aiming to do. So looking at kind of broader outcomes than just simply changing a person's body size, but looking at those broader, you know, well-being kind of impacts and connections and all of that sort of stuff as well. Mm, Yeah. Because you guys, so you did the written submission and then you were invited to actually go in and meet with the four politicians who are doing the report, right? Yeah, that's right. So the Senate committee held two public hearings in August. So we were invited to the Melbourne one and they're going to hold another two coming up in September. So it was a real privilege to be asked out of the 148 people that made submissions. Only a handful of those actually get to talk to the senators face to face. Go you guys. It's such a win for weight inclusion. Like I'm punching the air. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you went with Sarah Harry as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So we had Sarah Harry as a representative from Hayes Australia, who also endorsed our submission. Yeah. And we had Rita Batera, who's the chief executive officer from Women's Health Victoria there as well. 
Oh, fantastic. And so what was it like to present or to kind of go in there and talk to them face to face? I think we were both terrified, weren't we, Nat? We definitely were. I could taste my breakfast before we were about to go up. <laughs> uh, it was around lunchtime, just to put that into context before. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, look, it was definitely nerve-wracking. But I think that standing up for something that you believe in is nerve-wracking. And one of my favourite quotes is, and I can't think of it off the top of my head now, but it says something like, speak even if your voice shakes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of how I felt and I probably how Carolyn felt as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What and we I think was something that we really, really believed in. And, yeah, that's always nerve-wracking. Mm, definitely. And I think too, for me, that the responsibility of kind of making sure that people's voices were heard. So yeah, as Nat said, ours was just before lunchtime. So we'd been there for the morning and heard from epidemiologists, people who were talking about economies, people who were talking like from children's hospitals, for example, researchers, social scientists. So a whole range of people were kind of sharing their view. And the one thing that wasn't represented in the submissions that we saw was the voices of people with a lived experience of living in a larger body or there was some reference to people who were facing social disadvantage but not directly. So I think, yeah, that kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a kind of, you know, a privilege but also, yeah, was, yeah. Um, you know, that pressure to get it right. Oh, my God. It is, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it, to consider that, an entire Senate inquiry on, you know, largeness yep. was missing the voices of large people. Yeah. <laughs> How is that oh, a thing? Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, academic perspectives tend to cloud out, you know, unintentionally cloud out other perspectives or lived experiences, but it's just about bringing that back into the conversation. And as a social scientist, we're encouraged to do so. So we're always thinking about including the perspective of people who perhaps don't have a voice in society and it's about you helping to magnify their voice. Yeah, yeah. So did Sarah Harry talk about her experience? Yeah, so Sarah Harry was really generous in kind of sharing her experiences of personal experiences, but also she talked about her clinical work, working with people who experience eating disorders as well. So I think that was a really valuable perspective. And at the end, she kind of encouraged the senators to seek out more people who do have that lived experience to talk to, to inform their policy recommendations. Yeah, so good. So good. So as part of our response to the senators when they asked us for further information we included a link to Nicole McDermott's YouTube clip from the Australian and New Zealand Eating Disorders Conference so just as one more example of a lived experience story to include in their thinking around this issue. There is a beautiful synergy in there (laughs) considering that I've just spoken to her about that as another win you know so to know that 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 will be witnessed by those senators hopefully if they watch it yeah. is, yeah, I mean, her story and Sarah's story are so important and they reflect the stories of many people. Yeah, in, that's in right. Stories. Yeah, it's just so incredibly important. And I get what you're saying, Carolyn, about the responsibility, but, you know, thank you so much, you guys, for doing it because it is nerve-wracking and brave and you did it on your own time. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen from here, but, you know, a voice got heard that wasn't going to get heard unless you got the guts to get up in there and do it. Yeah. Find ways to spread that weight inclusive message or to talk about 
physical, the psychological and the social aspects of wellbeing in tandem or in conjunction with each other. So all of us can do that in our own ways. And I'm always sort of, I'm always encouraging people to go out there and be resistant. <laughs> yeah. Problematic messages, and everyone can do it. Yeah. We can do it in little ways or we can do it in some, you know, really big and really vulnerable feeling ways like what you guys have done. Yeah, definitely. And I think having that support is really important. So I'm not naturally a brave and courageous person. So, but I think kind of having the example of people like yourself, Louise and um, Fiona Willer and some of the other kind of Hayes champions, as well as kind of meeting Natalie and having someone on my side, I think that there's strength in numbers too. So that sense of community is really, really important. Uh, you had the entire non-diet community listening in like via <laughs> via various links. I couldn't listen because I was in session. But, yeah, the whole Hayes community in Australia was rooting for you guys on that occasion. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. well, we, were, we had that in the back of our minds the whole time. And I think that that helps in terms of your confidence and getting yeah. the argument out there because you know that there is a community of people out there who are supporting you who yeah. believe the same things that you believe and that's why I'm always going on and on and on about this but this whole idea of social connection of people yeah. coming together who are like-minded and who have a very similar cause or the same cause that there's nothing more powerful than that yeah there's nothing more powerful than a, than a group of women coming together with on a mission yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about getting more and more people involved in this community and Getting involved in the debate. Absolutely. Yeah, and getting into the ears of politicians and policy or treatment providers or like whoever will listen and even some who won't just keep talking. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I think too, just not giving up is really important. So when Natalie and I first started working together, we kind of pitched our ideas to a couple of people within our organization and got kind of, you know, no responses. And, you know, there were some people who were really supportive and on board, but we couldn't convince the people, you know, with the power and the money to be able to support us in doing what we wanted to do. So we just pushed ahead anyway and did it. Yeah. And, and we've managed to achieve quite a lot with very little kind of resources other than kind of time and that sense of community. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, we are up against Obesity Inc. with their millions of dollars and dominant paradigms and here we are kind of (laughs) pushing back. But, you know, that's exactly like you said, a bunch of strong-minded women coming together can change the world. Like that's that's what the suffragettes did, right? That's how feminism started. It's people coming together and saying, you know, we don't really think we're doing things the right way. We think we can do it a different way that's much better. Yeah, and I guess that we're, you know, it's, it's a group of women coming together and saying we're sick to death of fat shaming. We don't think it's right. We think it's mean and unnecessary. And here are some positive ways that we can not do that. <laughs> I know, yeah. Terrible things won't happen if we stop being mean to larger people. Exactly. And it's also getting us to be self-reflective because sometimes we don't even realise that we're being mean. And, you know, once upon a time when I was an undergraduate, I used the word obesity because I the appropriate word to use because I read it in textbooks and journal articles. And it wasn't until somebody pointed that out to me and said, actually, this is a really stigmatising, medicalising term and I'd like you to reconsider how you use it. That, That actually made me step back and go, oh, well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to be 
mean, unnecessarily mean to people. And I realised it was just a counterproductive term to be using. Mm. Yeah. And the debate is far more complex than just looking at how somebody looks. Mm. Yeah. That's right. And I think it's important to kind of, I came from a very similar perspective to Natalie and doing work with community members around weight stigma. My honours student did a project around looking at their experiences and realising that weight stigma is not just about hurt feelings. It actually runs much deeper than that. And so a lot of the health problems that we associate with being a higher size are the exact same things that are caused by weight stigma. So I think recognising that, you know, the deep kind of physical and psychological impacts of weight stigma is a really important part of the conversation. Yeah. And you really, that really came through in the submission, which by the way, I will put in the show notes so everyone can read, but you really got that point across clearly that stigma really does have an impact on health. That is (laughs) absolutely just as damaging as any supposed weight issue alone and I love because afterwards they asked you for even more information which is a pretty good sign and you said in that stigma is a societal responsibility requiring cultural change not placing responsibility for reducing weight stigma on the individuals that's just such a great comment (laughs) absolutely and it gets us to think about our own biases and everyone has biases and they're difficult to challenge or to confront So it's getting everybody involved, getting health professionals involved, those actually designing these policies, getting the everyday person to sort of sit there and say, is this actually a necessary framework or way to be discussing this issue? And one of the other things, one of the other points that we made was if you're focusing on weight stigmatizing one group of people, and that's your health promotion message, then you're not actually focusing on the health and wellbeing of everybody in society, you know, because look, I know that I don't get as much, I don't eat as much fruit and veg as I should. So do I fall under the radar because I don't have a certain type of body? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So it's yeah. really, it's, I don't know, it seems a bit lazy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just not great. So when you did this, submit, like when you stood up and, and the nerves were happening, like what was the response like to these Four politicians hearing something which I imagine would have been fairly different to everyone else's. Yeah, well, it was really interesting. Like at the start, when we first started speaking, they were kind of looking at their documents in front of them and looking down, not really engaging. And I was thinking, oh dear, this is not going to go well. But then as we started talking and as they started hearing the different perspectives that we brought, you could see them kind of, you know, sit up and pay more attention. And so we had lots of eye contact and kind of by the end they kind of were smiling and thanking us for our um, contribution. So yeah, as we kind of went through, you could see them kind of thinking um, through the issues on it on that different level and realizing that it was a lot more complex than they first realized. Oh, wow. So it it sounds like you really got through to them and they were really listening and engaged. Yeah. I think as a society, we're ready to have a more nuanced and complex conversation about this issue. Yeah. yeah. People undoubtedly find this interesting because everybody can relate in some way, shape or form. So, yeah, I think that societally we're ready to be having this discussion. And so as a result, I think people are a lot more receptive to hearing Mm. this other side of the debate. Mm. Gosh, it's so encouraging to know that something so different was received so well it's really hopeful yeah I think so yeah it's great that we kind of had that 
platform to be able to share, you know, our research, but also the broader evidence base and to show that there is another way that perhaps we haven't considered. Yeah. Yeah. And one that's really uh, strongly supported by evidence, like in your supplementary material, you put in that the Royal Australian College of Physicians in their position statement on quote unquote obesity are saying, let's end weight bias and let's optimize health at any weight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank um, Sarah Harry for that little gem. (laughs) Yeah. So this is not fringe. This is rather mainstream now. And it's a matter of keeping the conversations going, keeping being heard, you know, being the squeaky wheels. Well, you know, I'm really annoying because I keep repeating this over and over again. Carolyn will probably know what I'm about to say, but the weight inclusive perspective is the most conservative approach that exists because it doesn't take any major risks. It doesn't assume that you don't have body dissatisfaction. It doesn't assume any of that. It it basically walks in and says, right, I'm not going to take the risk of sitting here and commenting on your weight because body dissatisfaction is a thing. And it's a thing that can really detrimentally affect a person's health and well-being. And we have decades of research to suggest that body dissatisfaction is linked to disordered eating behaviors, can lead to full-blown eating disorders as well. So, you know, the weight inclusive approach says I'm not going to take that risk because it's yeah. not necessary risk to take. So really the approach that we're that we're putting out there and the approach that we all stand for is quite conservative. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and yet ironically we're called radicals. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems just a very simple approach. Yeah. yeah. It's really not that complex. That's right. And the other question that was really interesting was one of the senators commented about the science and he said, oh, so what you're doing is moving away from the science. And we said, no, actually what we're doing is embracing a broader range of science. So looking not only at the kind of biomedical sciences, but looking at the psychological and social sciences Mm. to back up the work that we're doing. And then by bringing all of those different scientific approaches together, then we can see the big picture and see that what we're currently doing is not having the benefits that we intend and is actually doing a lot of harm. Yeah. 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 Good point. It's broadening the science and bringing all of the science together in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And it's all peer reviewed. So everything that we referenced has gone through some sort of peer reviewed system and it all belongs. It's all mainstream science. It's not some weird journal on hypnosis somewhere this is really big <laughs> yeah that's right yeah not some random blog post or whatever yeah um, no. No. no so what happens now so you've had that hearing and then what's next what will we hear from so the report was supposed to be tabled last week but they've extended the due date for their reporting until november so we've got a long time to wait until we find out kind of what that report's actually says, Mm -hmm. which I think is a positive thing because I think they've realized that it is a complex issue that needs a lot of consideration. So they've given themselves more time to be able to kind of put the different pieces of evidence together and create some, hopefully some positive, you know, health promoting in the broadest sense, um, policy recommendations. So yeah, so it's just a waiting game. And they're also holding two more public hearings as well. So they haven't announced who's going to be appearing at those public hearings, but I'm hoping that they hear more from the eating disorders community. 
Yeah, because there was a few um, eating disorder submissions and there was also another non-diet haze professionals submission. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And there was also some submissions from kind of uh, welfare groups talking about food insecurity as well. So I think that's another really important voice that needs to be heard. Oh, this is so good. Yeah, I think it really is intriguing that they've put off that report a bit longer, maybe thinking or realising that, yeah, they do need a bit more time and energy. And who knows? Let's wait and see what happens in November when this report comes out and then we can kind of figure out if it's time for cocktails or time for tissues or time for something in between. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm I'm hoping it'll be cocktails. I'm hoping it'll be cocktails too. And I'm a non-drinker, so this is a (laughs) bit... for me it could be a mocktail that's fine (laughs) well thank you so much guys for coming on to talk through this because it's just really fascinating to hear the story of of how you guys did it and really inspiring as well because I really think that change is coming and this resistance that we're we're all displaying through community through coming together you know what can come of that let's just keep on pushing yeah absolutely thank you so much Thanks, guys. Oh my gosh, how much do those women absolutely kick ass? And just, I don't know, I'm just feeling so fired up and so inspired. And just thank you for doing that for all of us and for bringing the weight inclusive conversation up to a political level. It really is possible to push back against this diet culture shit on so many levels, personal and political. And that's what the episode today is all about. So I have a third story for you today, uh, a briefer one, but one I really wanted to bring some attention to because this is the story of a woman called Jessica Sanders who really just wanted to do something to bring an awareness of body image issues to young girls. And so she has a Kickstarter campaign that she's looking to finish, I think by the time we go to air, her Kickstarter campaign will only have a few days left. So I wanted to quickly stick in her story about the book, which is called Learning to Love Your Body for Young-ish Girls. So girls who are kind of in the age bracket of my kids. So I've got a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old. So they both fit really neatly into where this book is being targeted to. And the idea is to help the idea of body diversity for kids who are getting into this sort of prepubescent starting puberty, feeling confused about their bodies and being, you know, obviously exposed to diet culture messages all the time. So this is just a story of, of a woman called Jessica who figured that this was pretty shit and there wasn't really much out there. And so she decided to do something about it. And I just found this a very inspiring story. I guess we're back to what we can do personally. So without further ado, here is me and Jessica. So Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Tell me what is firing you up. Well, uh, what's firing me up is that a couple of months ago, I read an article Actually, it was a little bit longer than a few months ago, but a while back I read an article about labiaplasty, um, a huge increase in labiaplasties um, amongst young girls. And I was just like, oh my God, are we serious? Like they're not even turning 18, some of these girls. I'm like, how are they getting this idea that their vaginas are like not correct, that they're not right and that they need to change them and where these pressures coming from and Anyway, I was sitting around the table with my housemate. We're getting really fueled up by that. And I was like, oh, I've got to do something. And she's like, yeah, I've got to do something. I'm like, 
She's like, we should make some kind of book. I'm like, yeah, like a book of just lots of vulvas. <laughs> yeah, just like cute illustrated vulvas. Because I'd seen this artist who's great on Instagram. I wish I could find remember her name. But she just illustrates vulvas. Wow. They're all beautiful and different. And it kind of looked really like children's book-like. So I was like, all right, awesome. And then I actually reached out to her and I was like, would you be into doing something like this? And she's like, actually, that's a great idea, but I'm already doing that. And I was like, oh. Well, that's fantastic. Someone's already doing that. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's actually a children's book on vulvas. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think she's finished it, but I think she's making it. I'm not sure if she's targeting it at children, but I think it might be more of like an art book. Beautiful. But the same idea. It's just representation and just exposure at an early age. Because like we're competing against things like pornography, which mm. yeah, are showing women's vulvas and pretty much only surgically like altered or considered mm. to be like a perfect vulva. Yeah, the perfect V, which is the subject of a previous podcast. <laughs> yeah, the perfect V, oh. if it exists. Yeah, so that sort of got me pretty fired up and started my journey a little bit. And so I started looking into what other kind of resources were out there in terms of like exposure to diversity, in terms of different body, I was thinking at the time, body shapes, body parts. Yeah. To get girls, I was like, what's out there just to get them comfortable? with their body and just seeing their bodies represented. And I couldn't find anything. <laughs> I know. It's really hard, isn't it? I've got two girls, age 7 and 11, and it is really actually almost impossible to find a book that says, you know, lots of different bodies exist. But there's some stuff around for younger kids, but this sort of middle and mm. getting to puberty, yeah. you're so right. There's a real kind of lack of representation. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. Like there were books for younger kids and that, that were quite good and got them really, I guess, comfortable with the idea of like have, being in their body and like they have an amazing body. I think that's one called like you have an amazing body. And I was like, that's great. But I just knew that this time was so critical from all the statistics that I've been looking at just pre-puberty and all they're about to head into all these changes. And we know that eating disorders are most likely to occur during that time or after, just freshly after puberty and adolescence. So I was like, okay, what's sort of helping them to get to come to terms with that, like, like a guide or whatever. And, and I, yeah, I couldn't find anything. And also like I had a bit of a problem with a lot of children's books, which I don't have a problem with because I think they're adorable and cute, but they are cutesy and mm. they're not showing sort of accurate bodies. Yeah. The big heads, the little thing, like it's all really cute, but it's also not an accurate representation of children's bodies. So like where else are they going to see themselves mm. represented? Like mm. on a Barbie doll? Obviously, that's not an accurate representation. And then it's like on advertisements. So it's kind of like I just wanted to create a space where and find an illustrator, this book I wanted to do, that, yeah, that was able to do that. Such a great idea. And I love that you just persevered and kept thinking and kept diving into this until you found what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was a bit of like a journey and a process, but I think that's often how these things kind of happen. Like they just evolve and change with time and doing research and stuff. But yeah, I remember being in that bookstore looking for this sort of book and speaking to the lady that was helping me there. I'm actually friends with her now on Facebook and stuff. (laughs) She was just like, oh my God, yeah, this isn't here. And she's like, I'm about to be a primary school teacher and I want something like this. And if like you, you know, if you write this book, like I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to, I was like, yeah. And that kind of is when it clicked and I was like, oh, I could do that. Like, why not? <laughs> exactly. Right. We can do stuff. If, if yeah. we know something's wrong, we can take action and do stuff. And 
And yes. you, again, you, like, so had you written a book before or was this your first book? No, I'd never written a book before. It wasn't even something that I'd ever considered that I might do. It was just, I, had, I just had this clear message and I wanted to communicate it. And my mum is actually a children's book author. Oh. And so I guess that's probably, and she works in preventative education, which is awesome. And so that's why probably I had this really strong sense that preventative education is such a, well, it is mm. such a useful tool and the education for primary school age students in terms of body image is really lacking. So I've seen her really push for things like, you know, body safety, like awareness of your body and like who can touch your body and who can't kind of thing. So like she's really pushed for body safety in schools. And so I was like, this is something that's important to me and it's not in schools. And so my solution was, and something that I guess was accessible to me because my mum's able to do that. And she sort of guided me through the process. I thought like, I'll just give it a go. And I spoke to her and she was like, I was like, I'm really worried. I don't know what to write. This is really daunting and stuff. And she's like, just write it like you were speaking to a little girl. Like, what do you want to tell them? Like, what do you want to share with them in terms mm-hmm. of like your lessons and, and the things that you think are important? And I just started from there and then did a lot of refining. <laughs> Beautiful. So what is the book called? It's called Learning to Love Your Body. Aww. So, yeah. And I really wanted the word love in there because yeah. I'm big on the, the concept of self-love. And I thought I was never... I was in um, subtle ways, but like the language of self-love was never introduced to me and it's not introduced to a lot of kids. And then it's something that women particularly struggle with in adulthood. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, we're almost ashamed to turn with love towards our own self or our own body. Yeah, yeah. It's something that we're just not encouraged to do. So I thought I really want to include love and this idea of loving yourself and I guess in in that way try and destigmatize it because there is that kind of thing amongst young people of you love yourself, like you're up yourself, particularly like in Australian <laughs> culture. It is a real um, Australian thing, isn't it? That if you, yeah, if you even talk about self-love, you're really stuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, like I work um, at the Butterfly Foundation and I went and talked to some kids about this the other day, like doing presentations I work with them. And I said, you know, how many people when I say, oh, I love myself, you're just thinking, you just had a little thought like you're so up yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, I did. And I was like, look, it's okay. Like I have those thoughts too. It's just like, we have to sort of work to unlearn them, unlearn those messages. And no, it's a message from diet culture, isn't it? That, mm-hmm. that loving yourself is somehow wrong, especially if you're a girl, because we need to be, we need to be prepped for diet culture's relentless product sales. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, we're not like, you know, more likely to buy products if we're comfortable in our bodies, like diet mm. culture products and, and subscribe to that, that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So yeah, just something I wanted to destigmatize a little bit. And through the title, it's kind of challenging people a little bit as well, because I think some parents might be like, oh, my kid does love their body. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yep. Like, awesome. That's, that's great. But like, I don't know a woman my life that hasn't struggled with body image issues at some point or still doesn't it's very common yeah it's the majority so we're we're clearly doing something you know to get in the way of that and I think you're right this is a critical period yeah so so what age group is it targeted at so this is something I really struggled with because with the education system I just find it so restrictive in terms of like reading abilities like some kids I know in prep can read Harry Potter and some are struggling to read and so the idea of putting a, you know, an age bracket on it was hard. Mm-hmm. I sort of settled on eight plus yeah. as a kind of, as a starting point. But with the idea of like, I like the idea of someone buying it sort of as early as they can. And even if the child can't understand like the words within it, just like 
exposing them to the illustrations because they're yeah. just as powerful as the words. It's about the representation. So because we don't have a lot of other options to show them in terms of diversity of children's bodies, it's just like have it on the shelf, introduce them to it, maybe talk about what it is like, you know, can you see parts of your body in there and like that kind of stuff, leave mm. it on the shelf. And then when they're, when they're struggling a little bit, they can come back to it. Mm. And like, it's got some really practical like um, self-care tips within it. Talks about self-care quite a bit as like a practical way of caring for yourself. Mm. Um, having these kind of like, if you're having negative thoughts and it, it's not just if you're having it about your body, it's just generally, it's just emotional intelligence that we're developing oh. and like billions. Oh, it's great. It's great. So it's telling young girls, you know, if you are starting to feel bad about yourself, here's some ideas on what you can do. Yeah. Just like mm. things like, you know, we've all heard of like mindfulness techniques and things like that, that happen quite a bit. So like, like in schools, so we talk about mindfulness, so that kind of stuff, but also just like silly things like, you know, just put on a bit of a crazy outfit and just like <laughs> dance around until you kind of laugh at yourself and like, <laughs> or just like go and sit under a tree or somewhere, like find a space for yourself outside and just try and connect with nature or yeah, whatever it is, mm. find something yeah. that works for you. And then you can develop a bit of like a you know, a self-care kit, essentially, that like go-to things that make you feel good. Yeah. I'm just so in love with this book already. I can't, can't wait. And I know both of my daughters, they're going to want a copy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, can't, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. I know. So you have started, in order to help get this over the line, you started a Kickstarter campaign. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yep. So I've started a crowdfunding campaign just because I wanted, I was like, all right, I'm just going to try and self-publish this because I don't want to compromise on my message. And also publishing deals and things like that are quite hard. And my parents, they, they have their own publishing company and they self-publish. So that's something that I had like the tools how to do. So yeah, I just, I spent a lot of time, like I made, I've got a video up there and I, I've used it as a chance to try and also educate people. So the video is a little bit educational in terms of like it includes statistics and like animated graphics to, to let people know the ways in which negative body image impacts girls. And it's not just in a superficial way, like, oh, that makes them feel sad or down. It's the way that it limits girls. So oh, yeah, no, this is not a superficial problem. You're right. This goes right to the heart mm-hmm. of the psychology of being female and it stops yeah. people from living their lives. And exactly. I'm yeah. so glad you're making that point. How can people find your Kickstarter campaign and and help you get this off the ground? A couple of ways. You could go to my website, which is www.re-shape.com.au and there's a button, like a link on the front page. Or follow me on Instagram. It's at re underscore shape underscore and the link is in the bio to the Kickstarter campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a deadline on this? How long can people donate for? I think it's up until the 13th. I changed it a little bit at the last moment, so I'll have to double check that. But I know that currently, yeah, so it's up until about the 13th. Okay, so the 13th of September. So there's not much time to get in there. So I really encourage anyone listening, we need this book on the shelves. We need this age group of girls to be exposed to more body diversity and to this awesome message that self-care is important and (laughs) unlearning the shit from diet culture is really important. So yes, let's get in there and support and make sure this comes out. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, I mean, you are awesome because I kind of bumped into you on Facebook just talking about this Kickstarter campaign. I'm just, I'm seriously like today's episode's been all about feeling inspired and fired up in a good way because people can literally make a change. We are all born into diet culture. We get no choice in that but there's 
amazing differences that we can make, even as individuals, from that rage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, like, you, anger can be a really powerful emotion. <laughs> if we harness anger in the right way, it can be, yeah, amazing. Right, yeah, it is amazing. I mean, look at you. You've gone from labia rage to <laughs> <laughs> to putting out this beautiful book that's going to help kids through a really bumpy time in their development. So thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. And all the best with the launch. I'm sure it's going to set the world on fire. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Louise. Oh, thank you, Jessica, for coming on with another incredible story of the change that can be made if we just decide. And I urge you all, there's only a couple of days left until the Kickstarter campaign is finished. So please, if you want to support Jessica, get this book out there. And what that really means is getting this message of body diversity and inclusivity out to all of these girls who are going through a terrifically difficult time, then head to her page. I'll put the link in the show notes for you all. So that brings us to the end of today's incredible episode of All Fired Up. And I want to say thank you to everybody who shared their stories today. And my heart is just filled to bursting at the moment with hope and the idea of community and how important it is that we all join together. We gain our strength from just joining together with this idea that what we're thinking here isn't crazy or radical. What we're thinking here is actually quite conservative, quite compassionate and loving, incredibly sensible, and will do good in so many areas. And I hope that from listening to today's episode, everybody out there can feel like you can do something too. It might be something tiny just for yourself. It might be something for you and and your child or a friend. It could be a little bit bigger in your school community or in your council area. It could be to do with the media. There are so many possibilities in which we can really use our ideas and our brains and our problem-solving abilities and our communities to push back. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for another week. I can't wait to hear your responses from this episode. Please let me know what you're doing to push back because I'd love to hear more about that and to perhaps read them out on the show so we can all continue to feel inspired about being fired up. So that's it for this week. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap.